Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. As always, I am joined by Greg. Hello! And today we will be reviewing Alien Artifacts. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, we had a great opportunity this past weekend to sit down with some friends of ours, rather than just the two of us, and we played uh, Mystic Veil. You got a new expansion, which I believe is called Manastorm, yeah, and has some interesting additions. Each of the expansions so far, Veil of the Wild and Veil of Magic, have had sort of general themes mm-hmm. that they followed, and the theme of this one seems to be negative point values. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, that's it's what it is. You've got yeah. um, cards, mostly tier one was what we saw because we played with only the new tier ones. Yeah, um, but I'm sure. Recommend, really, no. Uh, but I'm sure there are tier twos and tier threes as well that are just generally overstated. Yeah, and then they compensate for that by being worth negative points. And there are also new leaders, at least one of which is worth negative points. Yeah, and I mean. It's very interesting because uh, they've added those. They've added, like, you know, these are just extra parts of that game. But they've also changed one thing that we probably wouldn't have even thought about. Because the mana token, which you get at the beginning of the game, normally is just, oh, you spoil, you get mana. You get an extra piece of mana, boom, whatever. It's pretty simple. But what they added was, like, okay, now this thing has powers. And you could have one that lets you place a card from your tableau on the bottom of your deck. You could have one that you get like an extra two mana. Or uh, what was the one that you, could, you had to flip in order to like get something? Yeah. yeah, there's one. I forget what the actual bonus is. But each time you use it, you just flip it. And then based on whether or not it lands face up or face down you can use it again on your next turn. So it's just really janky like that. But overall, I think the new evocation tokens, they're called, the the mechanic, it refers to itself as evoke. I think they're really interesting. Most of them Mm -hmm. are worth negative points, but that's because most of them are extremely powerful when compared to just one mana from the old tokens. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it definitely adds to the game. I think it adds a little bit of that extra oomph to the game and also balances out... You know, how we were talking about the power surge that you get from the, the Veil of the Wild that, like, you know, gives you the leaders and now you have, like, so much more power and so many more points at the end of the game. You go from 30-point games to 60-point games. And now I think that the person who won in our last game was somewhere around 30, possibly. Uh, I think, like, 40. I don't think it even went that high. Yeah, it definitely has, with this newest expansion, it definitely has brought the overall value that you get mm-hmm. down, which is good. You know, it shows that they're being responsive to the things that they've released before and kind of updating it on a continual basis. Yeah. Almost like, you know, patching a video game. Pretty much. And I think that the leaders that are in this version are also really just interesting. I mean, like they're completely different in the ways that they work. They, they definitely added more unique kind of mechanics, whereas the other ones, like it was all still based on, you know, the cars that you put out and things like that. And, and the second side is always better than the first. Here, like, there are at least two leaders. The one that I had was exactly the same on both sides, except for the fact that, like, you know, he could take things from the center on one side and then put things on a card using the other side and you have to pay to flip him and all that and it was just like you know flip 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 and you you use that mechanic a little bit more which is not something that you had in the original leaders and i 
actually really like that. I thought it was really cool. And then there's the other leader that hey, she's worth, I think, some points on, on her original side. Yeah, like five. Something like that, some small amount of points, but then has this super crazy powerful ability on the other side, but is worth negative 40. Right, and so the balance mechanic there is that if she ends a turn in your field, you have to flip her back to the other side. Yeah. So it's essentially a, a gamble every time you pay to flip her because what you're really banking on is the ability that she's going to come around into your field at least once more before the game ends. Otherwise, you're, I mean, negative 40 points, that's literally out of contention. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then even the new veils, like, they had negative points. Like, I took a veil that had uh, negative 14 points, but then I got to double all of my advancement points. And for certain ones, that could be extremely useful. For me, it was a little bit less than extremely useful. <laughs> but yeah, it was really interesting how they've integrated these into the gameplay, especially for some of these more powerful abilities. I definitely really enjoyed it. I thought that it was a good addition. I think that I need to play it like one or two more times to get my real handle on it, especially not playing it with only the new cards because that just makes a whole bunch of negative points. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. It was really interesting. I continue to be excited about Mystic Veil, yeah. which is really just fantastic because, you know, you look at another game, a similar game, even like Dominion, where, you know, you can buy Hinterlands and Intrigue and Seaside and what the, the billion expansions that they've got out now. But each one feels, at least to me personally, more or less the same. Yeah. Whereas with this, probably because they have mechanics besides just new cards... It feels, you know, substantially different each time, and it really reinvigorates the game each time a new expansion comes out. So I am really continue to be excited about Mystic Veil and continue to recommend it highly to anyone who's looking for a fun deck-building type game. I completely agree. I 100% think that it, it's still one of my favorite games ever, <laughs> especially after the addition of some of these expansions. So I do need to get myself an insert for it. Yeah, it's it's getting pretty crowded in that box there. Yeah. But speaking of expansions, there is another one that we tried. Finally, Between Two Cities Capitals. Yeah, we finally managed to play. I personally have played three or four games of Between Two Cities since the expansion com came out that didn't actually involve the expansion, just because I was usually playing with new people, and so I had to to teach them the fundamentals of the game and capitals is not an expansion that doesn't change the game very much it changes the game a lot like i was surprised at exactly how much it changed the game especially the feel of the game where between two cities base game is very much a simple kind of game oh yeah it does not have crazy rules or anything like that it's set collection except with a spatial element and also you're working with the person to your right and left it's not really that much of a complex game you add capitals to it though and now you've got a whole bunch of other things going on you've got first off the easiest one of these is the mat yeah so in capitals expansion you're not building a four by four city anymore you're building a five by five city and nine of those tiles are basically represented by a landscape mat that you choose or are dealt at the beginning of the game. So it's a three by three square. Four of those tiles are available for you to place yep. tiles on. 
and five of them are terrain like mountains or rivers or lakes or things like that that are unbuildable and impassable unless there are bridges or tunnels. So you kind of have to work around the geography now, and it adds just a little bit of that additional spatial element while also kind of extending the game because you're drawing slightly more tiles in phases one and three. Yeah, exactly. And then you go to the next part, which is new tiles. And now these tiles are civic buildings, and they are done a little bit differently in that the way that they work is they want to be next to two types of buildings, and they don't want to be next to a third one. Just like houses, if they are next to that third one, they are just automatically worth only one point. But if they are next to the two that they want to be without that third one, then they are worth six points. Right, which, you know, for those of you who've played before, six points, you'll know, is the highest possible that you can score for a single tile, even superseding the previous maximum of five. So these are really potentially very powerful tiles, but they're all unique. Each of them has a different set of two two that it wants to be next to, and a different one that it doesn't. So they require a lot more forethought and a lot more care when placing them into a city, but they can pay off big if you manage to get them in the right places. Exactly, exactly. They can, they can really swing the game if enough of them are put in, because like you said, it's the most per tile that you can get. But it does make you, you really have to balance the whole... You know, I want to make this city look like this because, like, you know, I want a lot of factories. I want a lot of this. I want a lot, a lot of that. But then it's just like, well, I need to put this in this place, even though that blocks like this one type of thing that I want to build. But it'll give me the points that I want and things like that. Yeah. And then the third really big thing that the Capitals expansion adds, the thing that I would argue is the largest change, is that there are now additional scoring criteria called districts yeah so at the beginning of the game you lay out these cards one card represents each type of building so you've got one card representing shops one representing parks etc etc you lay them out in pairs of two each pair of two represents a district which is a single contiguous area made up of nothing but those two types of buildings connected to each other So if a district is those two that I mentioned, shops and parks, and you have a row of four shops right below a row of three parks, then your size for that district, district one, two, or three, is seven. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the game, you score points similar to factories where whichever city has the largest district of any given type scores a large number of points, and the second scores a slightly lower number of points. Yep. And there are three different districts, and they dramatically impact scoring. Oh, it's crazy. You know, I've never gotten in between two cities up into the 70s points before, but the districts are what, like, brought us all the way up to that, like, top of the scale. Before, it was just like, why do you need such a big scale? Like, you're only going to go up to, like, 60s, 70s. We know now. Yeah, we know now. You are planning this. Ben... <laughs> We know. (laughs) We're on to you. But yeah, they give you something else to think about in the game itself. You have something completely different, completely new that's like, now it's like these two things that I would never have thought to put next to each other. Like the shops and the parks, it's like, well, I guess now I have to really work on getting the shops and the parks next to each other. 
or you know houses and civic buildings or something like that yeah and the other thing that's interesting about them is they require a different sort of thinking yeah so traditionally playing between two cities you're looking at each individual city and you're trying to maximize the value of those points and maybe you're looking at other cities that are being built for the purposes of like factories mm-hmm. but for the most part you're concentrating internally and trying to make the best out of the value given what you're presented with yeah but districts are sort of an entirely separate thing because you can not necessarily tank a city you still have to have a decent number of points from just core yeah. tiles but if you don't optimize that way compared to maybe another city but you do optimize for districts you can stage a really powerful sort of come from behind victory which is actually what happened in the game that we played yeah yeah i definitely was not winning i was actually losing and then we got to district and i ended up winning but i do think that it's interesting both of us and i think a lot of the other people at the table at one point like after like two or three turns putting things down which is like oh yeah there are districts <laughs> like it, it's so much to introduce in one game to add all three of those things i mean i liked it a lot for sure but it is a lot to add in and there you have it that's a look at what we've been playing captain captain we managed to salvage something from the crash site it appears to be a alien artifact of some sort didn't I teach you anything at the Academy, Ensign? That's clearly a what's a it And yes, this game is definitely a what's a it <laughs> Yeah, although probably good not to call it that. Yes, because we mean that in the best way possible. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Alien Artifact. The game is a 4X game that has been compressed into one hour. Yeah, and they more or less deliver on that promise. The game really revolves around a set of core fundamentals that are quick to pick up, they're quick to play, and they really embody each of the four X's. Explore, expand, exterminate, and exploit. Exactly. And so the way that the game works, it's all card-based, pretty much. So you have pretty much three different cards or types of cards really so you have three different decks of cards you have one that is the planets deck one that is the ships and one that is technology these cards are then split between four different types so you have the four x's the explore exterminate expand and exploit and so each of the cards in the deck is slightly different than the other ones based on First off, like the name and that kind of stuff, but also like, you know, what type it is. So you could have a ship that is an explore ship. So you might have a little bit more of an explorability there or, you know, a exterminate planet that has more exterminate abilities and that kind of stuff. And the game is pretty much fully based on these cards. You start the game with a faction and uh, your faction tells you what kind of cards you start with. So normally it's three cards but you have one built already of this one type and two that are still waiting in in the wings to be built. So in your queue, pretty much. Right, and that brings us to sort of the two important distinctions about how these cards come into effect. On the left hand of your faction mat, you have what's called your under construction section. So these are planets and ships and technologies that you have paid credits to take from the supply in the center Mm -hmm and claim as yours, but they don't actually give you any effect yet. 
in order for them to take effect, you have to build or discover or research them by paying resources. Yeah. Resources are also represented by cards, and they actually come on a separate deck that has two different types of resources. So there are red resources, which correspond to ships and exterminate abilities generally. Blue, which correspond to technology and expansion. Green, planets and exploration. And gold, which can be spent more or less as though it were any type of resource, which corresponds to exploitation and trade. Exactly. And so you use these resources in order to take your things that are under construction and bring them into your empire. And when you do, you have to make a choice. Exactly. Each card has two different sides, white side and a black side, though there's more to it than that. The white side is the logistics side. This is the side that gives you sort of engine-building bonuses. They reduce the cost of future actions, or they improve the efficiency of certain actions, or they allow you to spend more resources from your hand on a certain type of action. So these give you permanent bonuses throughout the game. The black side is the operational side, and this is usually related to scoring, although the particular expression of that can vary. So operational ships allow you to make attacks either against other players or against alien systems in order to gain points. Operational technology give you very specific criteria, maybe X number of planets in play or X number of credits available that you can use to get points. And then operational planets, you can actually put resources onto those planets instead of keeping them in your hand. You can spend those or you can use them, guess what? To get points exactly and so that is pretty much what your empire looks like but on your turn you have a very very limited number of things that you can do you can do one action and this action can be either a basic action which anyone can do at pretty much any point from for free so uh, that would be initializing the, the like construction of a ship you still have to pay for the ship but it like, doesn't cost anything to do the action. Same thing with discovering a planet and pretty much creating technology. You can also get more cards. So the decks that you have of the ships, the planets, and the technology, you can buy like the top card of that deck for, at a base, five. So for five, you get to take one of those and put it in your empire. If you want, you can add one more credit and credits are a different form of resource. They are not ones that you get in your hand. They're not like the gold uh, resources or anything like that. They are just money that you your empire has. And so you can use those in order to buy the different cards. And you can also trade the resources that you have in your hand in order to get more credits, to buy more cards, to build more cards, to build your empire. See where we're going here. Exactly. So the basic actions, building purchasing, all those sorts of things, generally correspond to scaling up. Then there's the operational actions, which again are shared across factions. Anyone can perform any operational action as long as they pay the cost. And that's when you get to use your ships to make an attack or put resources onto your planets or earn the right to score your operational technology. Yeah. So the overhead cost on those is relatively high, but the payoff can be great too. Especially exactly. since operational ships are the primary way that you acquire the titular alien artifacts. Exactly. 
those abilities that you have that are like the advanced actions are first for their ships is attack. You just initiate an attack with all of your ships or as many as you like. Right. Yeah, that's the important thing. Whenever you take an operational action, you get to do that with as many of the things that you have available as you want. Exactly. And so you go ahead and you you use those ships, you attack. You can either choose to attack another player or attack the alien worlds. The combat mechanic in this game is pretty interesting. It is very random because each of the cards that has the resources also has a number, one through four. When you attack, you draw one of those cards, show what the number is, and then based on the number, you have a specific result. One is, of course, the worst. Four is the best. For the most part, you always want to aim to have a higher result. There are some ships that actually do add to to that, as well as technologies that can make you pretty much be better. When you attack, you look at what the consequences are in that planet or, or whatever, and if you attack an alien one, as Greg said, you have a, a chance of getting an alien artifact. Alien artifacts are powerful cards. They have some really pretty great abilities. Things like take an extra three turns at the end of the game or take another buy action or like another certain number of actions when the game ends or get resources that you wouldn't normally get. Move yourself up all the way on the, on the money track to 15. So they are pretty powerful. But... You can also attack other players. And what you can do there is you can blockade things in their empire, pretty much. It can be anything. Technology, ships, or planets. And when they are attacked, and if you succeed, and again, it's the same system, they might have defensive plans of some sort that can change exactly what each one of the draws does. So if you draw one, it could be different depending on who you're attacking. If you succeed in blockading someone's planet, for example... That planet is completely blanked. So you place the token on there. That planet, you cannot use the ability of it. You cannot use it for endgame scoring. You cannot use it for in-game scoring. Anything like that. Until that blockade has been taken off, which can be done by that player as an action that costs resources and money, that planet is completely out of commission. And same thing goes for ships and technologies. Right. And this is actually interesting because neither of us are players who particularly focus on combat, especially Mm -hmm. PvP. That's just not a form of gameplay that we're particularly interested in. So the couple of games of this that we've played now has just been the two of us each time, and neither of us has really invested heavily in ships. And even when we do invest in ships, we're usually using them to attack alien systems. So we don't have a lot of experience with how blockades work, but they do seem extremely powerful. They would really force, at the very least... A person to invest in stronger defensive plans than just the base defensive plan but it's something that i might actually deliberately investigate on our next game just to see uh, how it plays out yeah I'm, I'm really curious to see how it how it plays out as well they seem to be very powerful more powerful than we expected yeah i and i think that's something that you can say a lot about this game is that there are hidden aspects to a lot of the cards so yeah. The logistic side of things tends to be fairly obvious, you know, reducing the cost, increasing your ability to spend resources. Those are very obvious effects. They're very impactful on the game, and they represent you sort of building your engine. But I think the operational stuff, it almost sneaks up on you, you know, because it's all about massing cards. The last game that we played, as an example, 
I had four operational planets, which each time you produce resources on a planet, that planet has a chance to score victory points, which means I can earn up to four victory points per turn just from doing that one action, not to mention any sort of ancillary abilities that I might have that synergize with this that I've built into, stuff like that. So where one operational planet might just be like, oh, whatever, you really invest in that strategy or you invest like you did in operational technology, mm -hmm. each of which can score up to eight points at the end of the game or up to four points on a single turn, and it starts to catch up. You know, yeah. it starts to, to snowball and become bigger and bigger and bigger. It was very interesting when we played this last game because you went for a whole strategy based on operational planets. Yeah. I was watching you and I'm just like, holy shit, he's getting a lot of points because he's using the mining ability to exploit pretty much those planets and get points, get more points. And I'm just sitting there just like building my empire. But at the end of the game, before end game scoring, I was at two points. <laughs> I think that you were somewhere around... 20. Yeah, I was in the high 20s, low 30s. Yeah. So it looked like I was on the down and out. But end game scoring is interesting. You have, first off, the number of cards that you have in your empire. And these are built cards. I had a few more of those than you did. So I yeah. started to catch up a little bit. Then you have the faction abilities. So your faction can actually give you points for a certain things that you built. So if you were my faction, for example, you got points for every logistics planet that you've discovered, as well as every exploration card that you had in your entire empire. So that also got me up a few points. I had a few of those operational technologies, which get me some extra points as well. Yeah. And that's what allowed me to really sneak up. I still didn't win, but... It was really close. Yeah, you definitely closed the gap. Where where going into the end game, it was like two to twenty seven. Mm -hmm. We finished up fifty one to I think forty three. Yeah. So it, it narrowed a lot, and I think it just speaks to sort of the asymmetry of the strategies, mm -hmm. and even more than that, zooming out a little bit more, the fact that there are multiple viable strategies to victory. Which, when you think about a four X game is absolutely the case. You can invest in planets, you can explore and expand, or you can invest in technology and sort of diversify, or you can just dominate the empire. There's all sorts of different ways that you can fuel a victory, and I think it's really fascinating to see how well they've managed to pull that off in a game that is, at its core, really very simple and yep. very quick. But it's still great, and it's still fully featured, and it still features lots of different paths to victory. And I think it's a testament to the game's design. Yeah, I completely agree. I like the focus. Unlike many of the other heavy kind of like 4X type games, again, Twilight Imperium, where it just takes so long to like think about like what you're going to do, you don't have much choice. But every single step that you're taking is a step forward. You're always building. As you build up, you know, the costs get higher. You have two ships uh, already built, that means your third ship is going to cost seven resources rather than five for your first ship. And it, it's the same thing for technology, it's the same thing for planets. But then when you have certain planets, they will reduce the costs. All that being said, no game is perfect. Right. And it seems maybe a little bit ironic of us to say that for this one, given all the praise that we've heaped on it. But there are a few nitpicks that we can make. One of the first is sort of the inconsistency with regard to the power levels of the artifacts. Yeah. And so, you know, we mentioned before 
the artifacts are very powerful. And I don't think you could argue that any of the artifacts aren't powerful, but some of them are just hands down better than others. The one that we mentioned before, the one that allows you to take three turns after the game has ended, you can do so much in three turns, especially if those turns are coming after you've established an engine, you can earn a minimum of 12 points mm -hmm. just with that one card. So when you're comparing that to a card that says, look at the top four cards of the deck, put one into your under construction area, that just doesn't seem as powerful when that effect is an ability that you already can perform and it only costs eight credits. Exactly. Another thing would be that the rules clarity, there is a little bit of ambiguity there. Some of it has to do with the setup as well as just some of the artifacts. Like it would be nice to have a little bit more clarification for those corner cases and just for those artifacts. Right. And then the last thing that we wanted to mention just in terms of things that we wish the game would do slightly differently is there is a great deal of variability among the technologies. Pretty much each technology is completely different. They have different abilities that they enact. They have different permutations. They're very unique, and they're very fun and interesting. Unfortunately, with planets and with ships, pretty much every exploitation ship or planet you get is going to be identical, both the front and the back. And I think it would be nice to see some variants among those things. Maybe make planets that give slightly less of a discount on their logistics side, but they also provide you with some other minor boost. Or maybe instead of reducing the cost of exploration by two, it reduces the cost of exploration by one and expansion by one. Some sort of changing it up as opposed to just having technology be completely unique and completely fascinating. And then ships and planets are, okay, well, this is that, it does that. Exactly. I completely agree. I think that that would really add to the game a lot. Overall, though, we absolutely loved this game. I don't know if you could tell. You probably could. So when it comes down to the review, I'm definitely going to give it a buy it. We checked out the price tag like we always do before we review it. It's $40. That's a steal. For a game that plays two to five, for a game that plays it quickly, and it's fun and engaging and well-designed, I think this is a fantastic addition to any game cabinet. Buy it is absolutely my full-throated recommendation. I completely agree. The artwork is beautiful. I haven't mentioned that yet on this review, which is surprising. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been impressed by a like, larger box game like this. Uh, I very much enjoy it, and I 100% say this is a buy it. Now, just to finish up, let's talk about a few games that are similar that you know we would recommend if you like this game or that you will like Alien Artifacts if you like these other ones. So first off, we have City of Iron. Now, City of Iron is definitely a different theme, you know, completely. You've got, you know, steampunk versus futuristic aliens and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you have a very similar kind of feel where you are still exploring, exploiting. Pretty much City of Iron is a 4X game set in steampunk versus alien artifacts, which is in space. Both of them have a similar feel for the engine building because you never feel like you're fully done. You're always like adding a little bit more to your engine. You're always changing something, tweaking something, getting something a little bit more towards where you want it. Definitely. And then the second sort of similar game that we would recommend if you enjoyed Alien Artifacts or vice versa is Tiny Epic Galaxies. So this is obviously thematically very similar, 
and follows a lot of the same patterns. You're exploring space, you're bringing planets into your fold and expanding the capabilities of your starfaring empire. It's not one-to-one, you know, there's less combat in tiny epic galaxies, but there's definitely enough similarities in terms of the way that you're growing and expanding and really improving your capabilities that I think these two games are quite similar. Ironically, Tiny Epic Galaxies is probably the more complicated of the two games, especially if you factor in the Beyond the Black expansion. Exactly. You just have more varied things that you can do in terms of actions that are available on your turn. So if you're looking for something that provides a little bit more flexibility and differentiation from turn to turn, definitely check out Tiny Epic Galaxies. And there you have it. That's our review of Alien Artifacts. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to check out our stream this Wednesday, available on YouTube and Twitch. You can also always find us on Facebook and Twitter. Finally, we hope you join us next week when we review Between Two Cities and its expansion, Capitals.